The Old Testament lesson for this, the second Sunday in Lent, is taken from the book of Jeremiah, the 26th chapter. When Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death, because he has prophesied against the city, and you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson appointed for this Sunday is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and whom I long for, my joy and my crown stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel is from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of the Lord. 
Praise be to thee, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we continue on with our sermon series, this Lenten sermon series, in which we're focusing on Lent being a time of renewal. And today we'll be talking about Lent being a time of renewal of obedience. And for us to focus on this theme, there's two scripture passages that we will focus on, and that is 1 Peter 5, verse 6, and then also a section from Mark 14. So 1 Peter 5, verse 6 states, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then reading from Mark chapter 14, And when they went to a place called Gethsemane, He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, and their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And Jesus came a third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, these are our texts. In the name of Jesus, our suffering servant, dear fellow believers in him. In her book, Legacy of a Pack Rat, Ruth Bell Graham recounts an incident involving herself and her son, Ned. Ned and Ruth are traveling together in a car. Ned is not tall enough to see over the dashboard of the car. And Ned urges, hurry up, Mom. He's just too young to read the sign that says 45 miles per hour. When Ruth applies the brakes, he he asks, why are you stopping, Mom? Ned cannot see that a school bus has stopped in front of them with its red flashing lights. And as they start moving again, Ned, Ned urges, pass the bus, Mom. He's too small to see the double yellow lines. Ruth Graham thinks to herself, Ned is much like me when I pray. Spiritually, I am too young to read the road signs and too small to see what lies ahead. How often I'm guilty of telling God how to run things. Do we see ourselves in Ruth? Do we find that sometimes because of our limited understanding, we grow impatient with God? Do we find ourselves questioning his ways? 
do we find it difficult to humble ourselves under his mighty hand and obediently follow him? The Christian's life is a matter of daily obedience, of humbling ourselves before the Lord and obeying him in everything, in all circumstances of life. Humble yourselves, writes St. Peter. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's easier said than done, isn't it? But it's a reminder that we need, during this Lenten season, renewal. We need renewal in obedience. God's ways are demanding. God's ways are even unbearable. Especially when we are experiencing painful events in our life. Peter's audience that he's writing to is enduring suffering that they do not understand. They have forsaken false gods to serve the one true living God, only to be rewarded with suffering. For speaking the truth in love, they're slandered. For faithfulness in God's kingdom, they're accused of being disloyal to the state. For loving their neighbor in word and deed, they're imprisoned and sometimes beaten and even sometimes betrayed by the very ones, the very neighbors that they tried to help. It's not fair that for their obedience to God, to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they should have to endure the Lord's mighty hand. But why should their life be any different than that of the Son of God? Jesus Christ is the human capsule of humility and obedience, and yet he experiences excruciating suffering. Jesus tells his, tells his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is tormented by what he is about to endure in obedience to his Father's will. The writer to the Hebrews says these words. He says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could, have, could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Do you think that the reader or the writer to the Hebrews had in mind Jesus' agonizing prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane? Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Please remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The intense anguish and sorrow that Jesus feels is certainly understandable. Being God, Jesus knows all that is about to happen to him. He knows in painstaking detail the events that are to follow soon after he is betrayed by one of his own beloved disciples. He knows that he's about to undergo severe trials where all the witnesses against him will lie. 
He knows that he's going to be flogged nearly to the point of death before the nails are pounded into his flesh. He knows the prophetic words of Isaiah that were spoken 700 years before his time, that he would be disfigured beyond any of that of any man and beyond human likeness. He knows that he will experience the wrath and rejection of his father for our sins as he hangs on that cross. And certainly these things factor into his great anguish and his sorrow, causing him to experience hematodrosis, a rare but very real medical condition that causes one's sweat to contain blood. But look at what Jesus accomplishes for us because of his obedience, his obedience even unto death on a cross. He is the eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Do you ever find yourself wondering why the Lord's mighty hand rests upon you? Some of us can probably relate to the patient in the hospital bed who, in excruciating pain, talked to her pastor about these questions. Why is it that God allows me this pain? Or why does he have me endure this pain? Well, as the pastor leaves, he cheerfully remarks to that patient, cheer up, God isn't dead. To which the patient replied, yeah, I know, but I wish he'd lay off a little. Humbling ourselves, being obedient under God's mighty hand is challenging, to say the least. In fact, instead of drawing closer to God in difficult times, we might become disobedient to God. We might even find ourselves drifting away from God because of the trials and the tribulations that we're experiencing. Sandra and I have been reading through the book of Numbers as we work our way through the Bible this year. And this week, as I've been reading the book of Numbers, I've been struck by how often the people of Israel disobey God when faced with difficulty. There's story after story of the people of Israel experiencing trials and tribulations, and instead of turning towards him, they actually are filled with contempt towards him. Here's just a couple of examples. In Numbers 13 and 14, it's reported that ten spies that were sent out by Moses to scout out the promised land when they return from scouting that land, they, they report to the rest of the people of Israel and to Moses that there's no way that they can take that promised land. There's no way they can take Canaan because the people there are too powerful and they're giant-like. So instead of trusting in the Lord's promise and power, almost all the people of Israel weep and they grumble as they anticipate that their wives and children will be plundered by the Canaanites. And they become so riled in anger that the whole assembly begins to talk about stoning Moses and Aaron. The people of Israel are not simply being contemptuous towards Moses and Aaron, but to the Lord himself. And for their disobedience, the Lord states that not a single person over the age of 20 will enter the promised land with only two exceptions, Caleb 
and Joshua. The two spies that came back and said they could take the land because of the Lord's power and might. For all the rest of the Israelites, they would continue to wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years until those 20 and older would die. In Numbers 21, the people of Israel complain about not having bread and water and they gripe about being sick and tired of eating day after day that miserable manna that God has provided them to eat. And for this act of disobedience, the Lord sends venomous snakes to slay the complainers. As I said, I could go on and on with different examples from the book of Numbers alone where God's people experience trials and hardships, painful ordeals, But instead of drawing closer to the Lord and learning obedience out of those things, they turned against God and complained against him and suffered the consequences. But it doesn't have to be that way. Obedience can be manifested even in lament. Yes, obedience can be manifested even in lament. Lamentation, a prayer for help coming out of pain is very common in the Bible. Lament frequently occurs in the book of Job. Why did I not perish at birth, Job asks. Why did I not come forth from the womb and expire? The prophets likewise cry out to God, such as Jeremiah, when he says, why is my pain continuous? Why is my wound incurable? In Habakkuk, the prophet says, My legs tremble beneath me. I await the day of distress that will come upon the people who attack us. And about one-third of all of the Psalms, close to 50 in all, are laments. Listen to the following Psalms and see if you don't resonate with those who are writing them. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in the times of trouble? Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand and forget not the afflicted. But the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Listen to this lament from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And listen to Psalm 31. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, and my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, 
and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face to shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Michael Gleenan, a member of the Order of the Friars Minor, writes, When we hurt physically, we cry out in pain. When we hurt religiously, we cry out in lament. Lamentation can be described as a loud religious ouch. That's what these men of God do in these laments that can be found in the book of Psalms and throughout the Old Testament scriptures and in the New Testament as well. In their trials and tribulations, in their distress, they cry out, ouch. They demonstrate that obedience to God is manifested in lament. For amid their distress and sorrow, they entrust themselves to the merciful and steadfast love of God and His promise to give them victory. Is that not what Jesus does? The crucified one, forsaken by his eternal Father, prays, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Indeed, Jesus dies a sinner's death. But he's resurrected from the dead, isn't he? He ascends on high where he rules and he reigns for all eternity. Paul writes, God exerted his mighty strength when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. And St. Stephen, as he lays on the ground with stones pounding his body, prays, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. That's an obedient lament. And Stephen entrusts himself in his time of need to his Savior. He relies on Jesus, for he believes that Christ has suffered sins once for all, the obedient one for the disobedient, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Stephen believes that even though he is grieved by various trials, even though he will die because of stoning, he yet rejoices with inexpressible joy that he is obtaining the outcome of his faith, the salvation of his soul. Friends, have you ever been so overcome with anguish that you not only feel overwhelmed with sorrow, but also utterly, completely, soul-despairingly alone, as if no one on earth could ever possibly understand the depths of your pain. In times like this, it is imperative to remember that God is merciful, that God abounds in love, steadfast love, as he so demonstrates on the cross of Calvary, and it is revealed again and again in the pages of sacred story, the Bible. 
He is present with you always to shoulder your burdens, to bear your sufferings, and to hear your distress. Not only does God understand and see, and not only does God understand and see you at the center of your pain, but he's present with you in that pain. He's listening to you when you express that pain to him. And he's always ready to bestow his grace upon you as you cry out your heartache and your anger and your sadness. Hannah Smith writes, Obedience means turning your back on the problem or the grief and directing your eyes and your attention toward God. The obedient servant echoes the words of Job, Though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. Again, Michael Gwenan says, In the scriptures, faith is not simply an intellectual assent to some statement about God. It is the trusting of the entire self to God. At times, we do experience God's absence. We do feel alone and confused, and we doubt. Doubt is not opposed to faith. Despair is. We see this in the case of the father who brought his son to Jesus for healing. When Jesus encouraged the father to have faith, he replied, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Even St. Paul tells us that he was perplexed, but not driven to despair. In despair, we give up on our relationship with God. Doubt, on the other hand, is a sign. It's a sign that our faith is alive and kicking. It is part of the rhythm of faith itself. Lament is not a failure of faith, but an act of faith. We cry out directly to God because deep down we know that our relationship with God counts. It counts to us, and it counts to God. The sainted Don Defner, who was one of my preaching instructors, tells the story of a woman in his book, Bound to be Free. He writes, A woman had suffered a lot of agony over her daughter's unfulfilled life. The suffering the daughter had done, she made her own. But the painful identification with her girl's difficulties had not subsided until she came to the realization, as she put it, Two weeks ago, I finally gave up worrying about my daughter's problems. I finally turned them over to God. I said, here, God, you take over. I can't handle it anymore. Defner observes, that was obedience. That was obedience and resignation to God. That was looking to him in all things and knowing that he is able to do that which we are unable to do. And at that very moment, the mother has seen no immediate changes in her daughter's life. But the mother now has an inner peace that she didn't have before. For she learned to obey Christ's words. Cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. God often overloads us. Yes, he overloads us with troubles and distresses so that we can't manage them on our own. Our Lord gives us more than we can bear, that we can bear by our own power 
and will. We sometimes need convincing of our weaknesses, of our human inabilities, and our need for Him. We need to be so overwhelmed that we turn to Him in our distress. If we can handle the demands of our circumstances as scaled to within our powers, then why in the world would we ever need God? Instead of seeing our crises as having been scaled down by God so that we can handle them on our own, think of God provoking the crisis so that we cannot handle it, so that it is so overwhelming to us, so impossible for us, that we can only rely on his strength. That's what St. Paul learned in his life. He learns obedience from hardships. Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. To which St. Paul then says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly because of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses. I'm content with my insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, when I recognize I'm weak, then I am truly strong. Yes, we are often like Ned's mother in the opening story of this message. We like to dictate to our Heavenly Father what He should or shouldn't do. We like to tell Him what He can and cannot expect from us. And yet our readings for today remind us that it is far better for us to obediently pray as Jesus did, not my will, but your will be done. Yes, Lord, your will be done. Your perfect and good will, rooted in your eternal love for us, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.